Happy Father's Day. Hey, you know, you got to get fired up for Jesus because he's fired up for you. I mean, can you imagine Jesus, you know, you call on Jesus and you go, he goes, oh, um, yeah, I'll get right back with you. I mean, think about it. God loves you. He is passionate, fired up, present in your life all the time. He wants you to be fired up for him. Amen. Well, let's give him a round of applause then. Amen. So I heard about this guy that was, uh, he was a painter, and apparently he wasn't a very good painter. He was not getting much work. And so he prayed. He really prayed with passion. God, I, I need work, and I pray you'll just bring me all kinds of wonderful, wonderful work. And he was praying in front of a cathedral. And all of a sudden, one of the ministers came walking out, and he said, uh, are you a painter? He said, I am. He said, would you like to paint the cathedral? He said, really? And he said, yes. And so he painted it, and he, he paid him a good wage. He was so excited. He, he got done, and he prayed, oh, God, thank you, and I just pray for more cathedrals. And it wasn't too many days that another minister approached him and said, you know, we have, we have a, a cathedral. You did such a wonderful job, and would you paint ours? And, and all of a sudden, he became known as the, the, the painter of all the cathedrals. And he was just going around painting these cathedrals, and he got a little greedy. And with every cathedral he did, he would put a little bit more water in the paint. And the paint kept getting a little thinner and a little thinner, and some of them started to notice that something was going on, but they weren't really sure. And finally, on the last one, it was almost clear. He had almost no paint in it at all. He was just painting water up there because he got greedy. And he prayed. He said, oh, God, I pray. I, I don't know what's happening, but I need more cathedrals. And he heard this booming voice from heaven say, Repaint and thin no more. Well, sometimes we just need to be right with God, amen? You know, one of the things that I get asked about, especially, especially by women, is what are we going to look like in the resurrection? What age specifically will I be in heaven? And women really worry about this because they're thinking that if you're the same age as when you die or when Jesus comes back, maybe better take me now because I'm going to be stuck this way for eternity. Isn't it funny the things we get caught up that are so of this world that we try to understand the world to come by the context we live in today? And yet God has something so much greater than that. Some people have even said, well, I think we're going to be 30 years old in heaven because that's the age that Jesus died, and so we're going to be like him, so we're going to be 30. Now, the analogy breaks down a little bit, ladies, because do you want to be a, a first century Jewish man in heaven as well? You see, you've got to be careful how you start putting scriptures together to make sense of it all. People ask, what about out-of-body experiences or near-death or after-death experiences where people come back to life? And there are hundreds of those. The interesting thing is there's some parallels that run down a course, and there are similarities. We're going to talk about one of those a little bit later. Another one is, uh, this is a really big one in Orange County because our divorce rate is about 72%, and it is, uh, will my first wife be in heaven? Believe it or not, people ask that question. Yes, men ask that question. And, you know, it was asked by Jesus, like, uh, if someone had a wife and she died and then he remarried, whose, whose wife will she be then 
Who will be her husband in the resurrection? Which wife does he get? So these questions about eternity and about heaven, they, they really do kind of grab our heart. Here's a great one. Do I have to hang with the people I don't like in heaven? Now, there's kind of this assumption that those you don't like now, you probably won't like then, and you're hoping like for different communities so you don't have to run into people periodically. I want you to know that what God does in the resurrection is he brings about the things that in us that need to be brought about. In other words, he transforms things that need to be transformed. The Bible says we're going to know as we have been known. In other words, how, the way God knows us now, we're going to really know ourselves. The impurity of sin taken away, selfishness taken away, greed taken away, that tendency to move in the direction of selfishness is going to be taken away, and we're going to be transformed into the image of the invisible God. Now, when you think about life, typically we think in life of two stages. We think about life and death. But really, the Bible deals with it in three stages. It looks like this. It talks about our, our life from birth until death. That's stage one. Stage two is between death and the resurrection. In other words, what happens in this time when I breathe my last breath and I'm resurrected and in the presence of God? And then stage three is life in the resurrection body. In other words, what's it going to be like in the eternal state? The Bible says there, are, there is an earthly body and there is a spiritual body. In other words, you right now are, are enjoying an earthly body. I like to call it an earth suit. And one day you're going to get a spacesuit. One day you're going to be transformed into something different. And that's the real you. That's who you really are. You have a brain, but you, and that will disappear, but your mind will not. When God created you, he created you in his image, body, soul, and spirit. And just because you give up a physical body doesn't mean you don't have a spiritual body. And you can find that if you want to read further in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's interesting, I, I'm a big Apple fan. I love uh, everything they have. I love all the gadgets. I love stuff like that. But to me, what was interesting was this very, very successful CEO, president, leader, founder, you know, extraordinary man, Steve Jobs. And his God perspective was anything but positive. And he lived his life with all the riches and all the fame and, and probably will go down in history as one of the great inventors of all times, undoubtedly. And yet he too faced death. And the last words on his deathbed were simply these. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And he died. When I read that, I, and it was an account given by his sister who was there in his death, I, I wondered what that meant. Did he see something? Did he hear something? Did he experience something of the supernatural? I've made it a point not to try to determine someone's eternal destiny. And people will any times at a funeral, they'll say to me, you know, my father, my mother, my brother, my sister, they, they weren't Christians. And I thought you should know that. And I always back up a step and I say, let me just say this. I don't know what happened in the mind and the heart of your loved one in the last 15 seconds of life. 
I don't know if God got their attention, if they spoke to God or not. Here's the one thing I do know. I do know that we serve a good God who will always do what is right. Let's leave them in his hands. Let's not speculate about their eternal destiny, even in the final moments of their life, if they were saying, I don't believe in God. One of the internships I had when I was in seminary was a chaplain at a hospital. And my job was to go and pray with high-risk patients who were facing a very, very terrible surgery. In almost every case, they welcomed prayer. In almost every case, they were thankful and they, they really wanted God's intervention in their life. But every once in a while, there would be someone who would say, you know, I don't even want your prayers. They won't do me any good. They've done me no good in the past. They'll do me no good going into this surgery. And I always walked away very sad, very sad. Even just telling that story brings back that heartache of just looking to the face of men and women who would say things like that. Job asked a question in Job chapter 14 and verse 14. He said, if a man die, will he live again? You know, many people memorize scripture, and one of the one scriptures that a lot of people memorize is the one where it says that Jesus encountered his friend Lazarus, and it says Jesus wept. If you want to start your scripture memory, there's the easiest one to memorize. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. You ever think about Jesus having a heartache about people with a loss and in a tragedy, in a difficulty? He had a friend named Lazarus who, who died. And they heard word, he heard word of it, and they said, you know, your friend Lazarus is dead, you must go quickly. And Jesus purposely delayed his going to his friend which on the surface seems really, really just kind of harsh. Jesus, hurry up, get over there. You've got you've to rescue, you've got to help. And it kind of is that, is that push that we feel in the human when we think we've got to do something, we've got to carry something along, we've got to make something happen. And Jesus said, no, God is in control of this. Wait on God. His sleep is not unto death. It is, in other words, it's not going to be permanent. Now let's pick up the story in John chapter 11 and verse 21. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now she had faith, didn't she? Because she thought Jesus could somehow stop or prevent tragedy and would do so had he been there. Lord, if you'd been there, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. You hear her faith? I wish you'd have done it this way, but I have confidence that you'll do it some way. Jesus said unto her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know. I know that he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. But look what Jesus said. She talked about future tense. She said, oh yes, I know my brother will rise in the resurrection of the last day. But he took her future tense and brought it down to present tense. And he said, but I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And what he was doing, he does He did to her what he does to us. He pushes us into the realm of faith because we don't naturally go there. We kind of step back and say, whatever will be, but God, I sure hope you do something. He was challenging her heart like, like our faith gets challenged on a daily basis. 
Will you move into that realm of really trusting God or you be content to step back a little bit and just let what happens, happens? Then let's move a little further into John chapter 11, verse 40 and 43. Jesus said unto her, did I not say that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So now this is not just about getting her brother back. This is about God's glory. Let me ask you something. Would you like to see God's glory in your life? Would you like to be able to say, you know, my life is not just an explainable Christian event, but I want to see God's glory. I want to see God do something. It goes on here to say these words now. You'll see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now let's put this in contemporary. Let's suppose someone's been dead four days as Lazarus was. You show up at the house, and all of a sudden, you speak these words, I thank that you've heard me, God. And you're going to call this man from death to life. Now think how radical that is. You know, we have this tendency to take our Bibles and kind of just make them into nice stories. But you know, the Bible is so real, and, 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 and the verses that, that, that accompany these verses say, you know, we shouldn't take the stone away. He's been in there four dead for four days, and he stinks. I mean, I just love the reality. You know, you know Jesus, you're not thinking right now. And the verses that follow, he was wrapped in these grave clothes, and, and they actually had to unwrap him when he comes from the grave. But look what it says in verse 42. And I know that you always hear, but because of the people who are standing here, Jesus says to his father, I know that you always hear me. I'm not worried. I'm not concerned. I don't doubt a bit. But here, the people are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. You know, one of the things we've said from the very beginning is you can be in the middle of a miracle and not know it. And what happens when God does something in our midst that's, that's unusual, that's miraculous, if you will? What we do is we find ourselves going, I can't believe God worked this way. Now, you've come up with all kinds of variations. Our, our church planter over in Abu Dhabi said, you know, you can be in the middle of a miracle and not like it. And we all know what that's like, right? I'm not, I, I know it's a miracle. I'm just not crazy about it. I'd like you to do something different. Imagine the miracles, whether it's a Moses or an Abraham or an Elijah or an Elisha or a Joseph, anybody. They probably found a lot of times when they were in the middle of a miracle and said, you know, this is not exactly what I was looking for. This was not my plan. It says, and, and I know that you always hear me, but because the people are standing by, I said that they may believe that you sent me now when he had cried out these words, he cried out with a loud voice and said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came back from the grave. Now the interesting thing about the story of Lazarus, he's not a resurrected person. He is a brought back from death to life person because he too will die again. Maybe that's why Jesus wept. Maybe he wasn't weeping over the loss of his friend, but knowing that his friend would taste death not once, but twice. Interesting perspective. Let's talk a little bit about the voice and the voices we hear. Anybody hear voices in their head? Raise your hand if you hear voices in your head every once in a while. Go ahead and raise them. We're not taking pictures. We're not taking notes. You hear that little voice that says, oh, you should go do that. 
Oh, they don't like you. Oh, this is never going to work. You hear those voices? Or you're dumb. You're not, you know, I mean, all these kind of voices we hear all day long. And it never helps when somebody else comes along and they put their voice in our head and then we hear their voice. It's bad enough we hear our voice. Now we got to hear their voice. And then we got the enemy who comes and he's trying to get his voice in our head. And then we've got God trying to speak, get his voice in our head. Let's talk about the voices we hear. First voice we hear is a voice of confusion. Do you think Martha and, and those who watched were confused by what was happening? They were. They kept at, If you'd have been here, God, listening to negative voices opens up your heart to an invading army. When you give your mind over to someone, to something like that, you open your mind up. And those ruthless invaders that come into our mind, they first capture our attention and then they control our emotions and once you give up your emotions you are dead in the water because you don't know what to do with it and you find yourself emotionally spinning in these voices of confusion then there is the voice of fear we've all heard that voice fear makes you forget the works of god when you enter into fear you can't enter into faith And you begin to hear this, well, I'm just afraid, I don't know what. You quickly lose sight of his supernatural ability to deliver you in any situation from any problem, and then you forget the word that is anything too big or too great for God. And the answer's gotta be in your heart of hearts. No, God is gonna come through. And then there's that voice of failure. You know, some people believe they're a failure. You may have failed, but you're not a failure. Never in God's sight. Don't let these voices distract you from your destiny. God has a purpose for you that you cannot fully realize if you listen to the wrong voice. Now watch this. God can put an anointing on your life. In other words, you can feel his presence. You can can understand scripture, but you also need an anointing on your path. Not just your person, but on your path. You have to know that I'm going in the right direction with God's power. I'm on the right road with God's power. Demonic voices will bring fear and confusion to you. Their intent is to keep you from understanding what God is doing. Keep you from completing your God-sized assignment in life. I did... I have two weddings this weekend. I've gone through two rehearsals, one wedding, and I have one more tomorrow. And one of them was our drummer. That's why Watson wasn't here today. He got married. And I know he's just having the time of his life with his new bride as they fly out on their honeymoon. And we rejoice with them. And it was so good just to hear those come and say those words of affirmation to us and how we've poured into their life and and how we've made a difference. And you know, you don't think about that. I, I never really thought about it. I never even knew I did. And I thought, you know, you would be surprised whose life you have changed by a simple word of encouragement, a prayer. And whether they come and say it, just know that that people are really affirmed by your life and let that be a part of you. You know, there's another voice that I read about, a a doctor by the name of uh, Eben Alexander. He's a neurosurgeon and he was featured in Newsweek magazine because this neurosurgeon died, went into a deep coma, and then came back to life and wrote a book called Heaven is Real. I want to tell you a little bit about it. His near-death experience before falling into coma led him to find a newfound faith in God. 
Here's what he said. I awoke with a headache, and within hours, my entire cortex had shut down. For seven days, I lay in a deep coma. Then on the morning of my seventh day in the hospital, as the doctors weighed whether to discontinue treatment, my eyes popped open. He said, I observed in this place that he describes as heaven, flocks of transparent, shimmering beings arched across the sky. While he isn't able to define exactly what he observed, he called them advanced, higher life form beings. The creatures were so content and overjoyed, Alexander recalls that they created a glorious chant as they moved. I wonder if they heard what John describes in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 12 with these words, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Caught up in this moment, he said, I've spent decades as a neurosurgeon at some of the most prestigious medical institutions in our country. I know that many of my peers hold, as I did myself, the theory that the brain, and particularly the cortex, generates consciousness, and we live in a universe devoid of any kind of emotion, much less the unconditional love that I now know God and the God of the universe have toward us. But that belief, that theory, now lies broken at our feet, What happened to me destroyed it. To God be the glory. The voice of a brilliant neurosurgeon whose life was transformed, unmistakably transformed by something happening to him that brushed him up next to death. A.W. Pink said, Christ is the key. Christ is the key that unlocks the golden doors into the temple of divine truth. A relationship with Christ is transformational. What happens at death? Well, Scripture has a lot to say. In James chapter 2 and verse 26, it says, For as the body without the body, uh, without the spirit is dead. So the body, if it doesn't have the spirit of God, it's just a dead body. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, We are confident, yes, well pleased, when we are absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. What happens at death? When, my, when I leave my physical body, I am in the presence of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. I kind of look in a mirror and I see a little bit about what God is like and what my life is like, but it says there's coming to a a point where I'm going to be face to face with God. I shall, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I have been known. Let's think about the promise. What promises God have for you and and for me? In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says this, for he has put eternity in your hearts. You know why we long for God, why we long for eternity? Because he's put it in our hearts. Except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to end. It's a mystery what God does and how God works. Remember what Jesus said back there in John chapter 11? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And whoever lives, believes in me, shall never die again. Do you believe this? He tells us. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. In other words, there's two resurrections. There's a resurrection of the just. There's a resurrection of the unjust. One to blessing, to joy, to eternal life. One to shame 
and disgrace. There is uh, the Westminster Confession that says this about the subject. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness. Now imagine that. You at death are made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. Their bodies, still being united to Christ, do rest in the grave till the resurrection. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heaven, where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting the full redemptions of their body. You know, whenever we, we have someone in our family that loses a loved one, it's, it's always one of those moments of, of great prayer and just concern. And on June 5th, I received this text from one of our own that uh, her and her husband, Brian Christy uh, uh, Elig, they lead our prayer ministry. But she sent this text to me at, on June 5th uh, this year and uh, at 10.25 a.m. She said, hi, Phil and Tammy. I want to thank you so much for being there for me during this difficult time. Your love, your prayers, the text messages meant so much. Phil, you were in my dream on Monday night. I was asking you about my dad and what more needed to be finished here on earth before Jesus would take him to heaven. You told me what it was, but it, that part of my dream was a bit vague. Whatever you said it was, it happened yesterday, and then Jesus took my dad to heaven. I was with my mom and dad and siblings when he passed. An incredible amount of God's peace flooded my body, and I had to tell the two of you about my dream. I thought it was so cool. Here is God ministering to Christy in what we would say is a crisis time of life, the losing of a loved one, in particular your dad. And her response was, God came to me in a dream. God told me it was okay. And her response was, I thought it was cool. That's a Christian response to life and death. That somehow when you know God is involved in your life, when you know that God is ministering in you and through you and to you, it somehow makes life easier. You see, I want to talk to you about the faith also. When you face difficulty like Job did in the Bible, you have to keep the faith. Job said, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And I know when my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. That's a promise of the resurrection. When your hope is small, look to the blessed hope. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, it does not now yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall see him as he is, and we shall be like him. When God's promise seems far off, remember the words of Jesus in John 5, an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice will come forth those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who have committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. You know, Jesus said this. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Forever who de- whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit does it give a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul or what will a man give in exchange for his soul this story is told by dr william bader wolf of a little girl who was born almost blind and the parents took her to doctor after doctor trying to to find some procedure that would restore sight to this little girl 
And all of them said it was too dangerous. They would not do the surgery. And finally, they found a surgeon who said he would perform the surgery. They sent the little girl into surgery. And if you've ever been in that situation, you know how tragic that feels. You just feel so helpless. They sent her in. And the minutes passed. They seemed like hours. The hours seemed like days. And finally, the doctor came from the the surgery room and, and he said to her, I believe, I believe your little girl is going to be fine but we won't know for a number of weeks. We're going to have to keep her eyes bandaged and let the light in slowly. Slowly we'll let the light in. And so as those next 30 days progressed, the mother would go into the room and and there she would sit with her little girl and they would remove a layer of the bandages and trying to let a little bit of light in at a time until finally the day came to remove all the bandages. And the little girl looked around and the mother opened the curtain. She took her over to the window and for the first time that little girl looked out and saw the blue sky above. She saw the verdant green of the grass as it grew below and the crimson red of the rose as it it grew in the garden. She looked to her mother and she said, Mother, why didn't you tell me it was so beautiful? And her mother said, I tried, but words could not describe the beauty of this creation. One day you and I are going to face be face to face with John the Apostle. And we're going to say, John, as you describe the streets of gold and the gates of pearl and this heaven, why didn't you tell us it was so beautiful? And I think John will say, I tried. But words could not describe the beauty that God has in store for his people, the church. Last week, we shared with you a positive confession. I'm going to give it to you now uh, on the screen, and I I have it in your notes, but I I really believe that we need to kind of make this a part of our life. So many of you asked for us to put this in writing, and so we did. But let's look at this together. In Jesus' name, my sins are forgiven. I will not listen to the voice of the enemy who tries to rob me of my joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Today is a day of victory. God is arranging circumstances. God is bringing people into my path in order to fulfill his divine purpose. I am a child of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Satan is defeated in Jesus' name and has no authority over me or my family. I praise you, Jesus, for your blood that cleanses me from all sin. Amen. I want you to stand with me. We're going to say this together. Let's repeat after me. In Jesus' name, my sins are forgiven. I will not listen to the voice of the enemy that tries to rob me of my joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Today is a day of victory. God is arranging circumstances and bringing people into my path in order to fulfill His divine purpose. I am a child of the King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Satan is defeated in Jesus' name and has no authority over me or my family. I praise you, Jesus, for your blood that cleanses me from all sin. Amen. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, as we take this positive confession of faith, We believe that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We believe that you died, you rose from the dead to give us eternal life. Today, God, we acknowledge that in our heart. 
God, I really believe that there are some people here today that don't know you. They know about you, but they don't know you. And if they died today, God, I don't know where they would spend eternity. So God, I want to just extend to every person here this opportunity to receive and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You may want to pray a prayer like this in your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me. I believe that you died on the cross to give me eternal life. I believe that you rose from the dead and conquered death. I believe the word that says, if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, then I will be saved. Save me right now, Jesus. I put my faith in you, my confidence in you. And I ask you to write my name in the book of life. If that was your prayer today, I'm going to ask you just to slip your hand up. No one's looking around. Just slip your hand up. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Just keep it up. Just keep it up for a second. Just hold your hand up high. Maybe a dozen or more of you have lifted your hand. Jesus, these who've extended faith to you, Seal their decision by your spirit. Fill them now with your spirit, God, and give them direction and purpose and meaning, God. God, we pray for those who are in Abu Dhabi. We pray for those in Big Bear and then the other theaters that are watching. And, and I pray that salvation has come to their hearts and to their, to their households, God. We love you, God, and we want to give you praise and glory and honor for each and every person here. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you, God, for what you're doing at Influence Church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, before you go out, I want to remind you just to be here next Sunday at 815 Theater 2. We're going to walk you through where we are financially. We're going to walk you through all these things. And, uh, and as we go, let me just bless you before you walk out, all right? May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you. May the Lord be glorious to you and your family. May you men, may you be the men of God God called you to be. May you give Him honor, may you give Him glory, and may you bless your family and bathe them with the water of the Word of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great Father's Day.